Hello, my friends, and welcome to a special edition of the New World Kirtan podcast. It's Tuesday, January 7th, 2014. I'm Kitsy Stern, and I host and produce the show as an act of love and service to our Kirtan community. It's also an audio journal of my spiritual journey through the practice of singing and playing Kirtan. Happy New Year to the New World Kirtan community. We're off to a great start. Tomorrow is my birthday, we have a new website on the way, and we have an interview with Nina Rao as this first show of 2014. And the Denver Chant Fest is coming on Valentine's Day weekend. New World Kirtan will be bringing you the event by audio live streaming and podcasts of the Kirtan. The lineup includes Dave Stringer with Donna DeLore, Jai Utal, MC Yogi, CC White, Sean Johnson, and the Wild Lotus Band. There's much more and lots of great yoga teachers also. So if you're out there somewhere and want a good blast of midwinter bhakti love, you'll want to be in Denver with us, won't you? Dave Stringer is also giving a flight school after the festival, and I'll be attending that and telling you all about it. Discounted tickets for the Denver Chant Fest are available at the New World Kirtan website, and buying your ticket through us is a great way to support the podcast. Now I'm going to get all NPR on you. Our operating expenses have increased a lot this year, and I'm asking for your help. If you feel the podcast has made a positive difference in your life, please consider making a small donation at the New World Kirtan website. Thanks. It was such a treat to talk with Nina Rao. Nina tours with Krishna Das and has been his assistant since the early 90s. She is also a Kirtan Walla in her own right with a new CD, Antarayami. Nina has been part of the kirtan scene in the United States since its very beginning at Jiva Mukti Yoga Studio in New York. I loved hearing her story, and I know you will too. Next week, we'll have another fresh track set, this one with all new music from Kundalini artists. Until then, my friends, namaste. Nina, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's just a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I know you have lots of interesting stories to tell. But I'd like to start with your um, your roots. Well, uh, my genetics are that my family is from from South India, mm-hmm. and uh, when I was younger, uh, we used to go and visit my grandparents who lived in a small village in rural uh, South India. Uh, of course, none of them are around anymore, and I've been living in New York since 1986. But um, I did, we did go and visit him when we were, my grandfather, when we were children. And that's where I first heard chanting at his home, because they just sang at home. I didn't realize that this is what was happening there, because I thought my grandfather was an engineer, which he was. He was always fixing things and building things. He was retired at the time, but he did have this beautiful um, foot pedal harmonium not you know the kind where you sit in a chair and you actually pump the bellows with your feet and you play the harmonium with both hands. Oh, I've oh. never I've never seen that before. Yeah, I, I don't actually know if they even make them anymore unless it's special order. <clears throat> but he did have one of those there, and I always I never really studied music formally at all, so I, I just loved to pick out the notes of songs that I knew when I was a child. So I asked him if I could play it, and I would figure things out, and then. Finally, I said to him, I said, I said to him, I said, Aja, why don't you, well, show me what you can play. So he said, okay, but why don't you just wait until, uh, until, you know, in the next week or so, they were going to have like what we would call satsang at their house. And they were going to have a big puja and all the people from the village would come and they were going to sing bhajans. So I said, okay. So... It was an amazing day. I, I don't remember what the occasion was, but um, there's this sort of this gigantic living room, which is sort of an indoor-outdoor kind of room like you find in warm weather climates. And I just saw all the, our relatives and friends from the village coming in, and a lovely puja was set up, and everybody kind of came in, and the women sat on one side and the men sat on the other side. And... Um, and they they all just sang. And there was my grandfather leading bhajans. I had no idea he could actually play or sing anything. He just, it wasn't <laughs> something that was discussed. And um, he had a beautiful voice. And I found out later he had taught himself how to play harmonium. 
he'd learned all these bhajans of Surdas and Sai Baba and he could play the Bansuri flute and um, it's actually in his house where I first read the stories of Krishna and the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. He actually had English translations of them on in on his bookshelf. But, you know, it like it is in India, in many households, you know, there's a tradition of this kind of spiritual practice, but it's just not discussed very much, um, nor it's just integrated into life in such a way that, you know, this is sort of what you do. Hmm. And I, I mean, I did love, like, you know, we would always have arti in the evening, and I would go out with my aunts and light the lamps around the tulsi, and and we would do arti, which is really beautiful. But he's he's where I first heard chanting from. And then the next day I was kind of obsessed. And I said, okay, you have to play this for me. And um, he said, I'll play it if you guys sing. And, and I said, okay, and then I want to write the words out in English so that I'll remember them. So I think I was, I might have first heard him sing when I was nine. And then maybe sometime later I actually recorded him probably when I was about 11 years old or something. And I recorded when he sang for us, and we were all singing with him as as kids. And that actually, on my album, the very last song on the second disc is Vinayaka, is actually the, uh, the beginning of it is a portion of that recording. Really? I wondered about that. That's such a lovely recording. Yeah, it was on my you know, little portable dinky tape recorder that I recorded it, but I'm... So glad I did. And then some years ago, um, I just converted it to a, a digital file, you know, after my grandfather had passed away and and gave it to my family members. And then when I was making this CD, because I do sing that, I do sing that particular bhajan myself. And when we were putting the songs together, I, I asked Devdas, you know, the producer of my CD, whether he could find a way to that this was the way I envisioned the song, that um, it would be what, you know, just how the names of the divine, you know, are eternal and don't belong in any particular timeline or space. And so just to sort of represent that in a certain way, I thought it would be nice to have him and then going into me leading it and then my child and my nieces and nephews and my sisters and my parents actually singing with me.
I'm so glad you told me the story of that because I, I have it marked down. When I was listening to it, I wondered what, what the story of that was about. And how precious, what a precious memory that must be for you. It was really beautiful. And the interesting thing is, um, you know, my whole family sings. My father, um, he never really sang, but he liked to listen to music. And when I made this recording, I asked him to be there when my with my mother and my sisters and their kids were singing. And um, it was sort of the last, last time that we were all together in that way, singing together, because he passed away a few months later. So... It has a lot of, um, mm. carries a lot. really important to you no when did that uh, develop well, i don't know it's it's i i mean the the direct answer is is when i met krishnadas is when i started to pay attention to hanuman um he was not very much part of our family spiritual tradition um the our family deity so to speak was um saraswati sharade devi and that was and you know we had we heard more about Krishna stories and like I said I read the Ramayana and things at my grandfather's house, but even still Hanuman was not particularly worshipped as a deity. But when I met Krishnadas the very first time um, at a yoga retreat, before I even saw him, I saw a little puja table set up in the in the yoga room, and on the table was a picture of Neem Karoli Baba. And a photograph of Hanumanji from the uh, Neem Kroli Baba temple in Taos. And I was, it was, it's a very beautiful, I don't know if you've seen a picture of that Murti, but it's a very beautiful Hanumanji, and I loved that picture. Hmm. And what happened over time was as, as soon as I, after I met KD at that retreat, he had just recorded his very first CD, which was One Track Heart. Mm-hmm. And I listened to that CD. It wasn't even a CD, I had a, an audio tape. And I listened to it nonstop for basically years because until he brought out Pilgrim Heart two years later, I listened to the same tape over and over again. But on that tape was the Hanuman Chalisa. And um, when I heard the Hanuman Chalisa, I was so intrigued by it because he didn't actually sing it live those days because I think he felt it was too difficult for people and he really didn't want them to be reading and having to pay attention and get distracted by getting the right pronunciation and so on. So he would just sing simple kirtan at the time. But I was very interested in it. And I think maybe a couple of years later, I don't remember when exactly, but it was um, his 50th birthday and they were having a surprise birthday party for him at Jiva Mukti. And Two of my friends and I decided that we were going to learn the Hanuman Chalisa and sing it for him for his birthday. (laughs) What was very interesting is, you know, recently, maybe a few years ago, he told us the story of how he learned the Hanuman Chalisa when he had gone to Kenchi. And um, they learned it because they had all these guys kept getting these little Hindi booklets with the words and they had no idea what it was. And finally, they asked somebody, they said, like, what is this? And they said, well, this is the Hanuman Chalisa. And Maharaji likes to hear it. So, of course, they quickly figured, you know, spent time, had it all translated into English and tried to learn it so that they could sing it to Maharaji. Well, learning it is not exactly the easiest of tasks. I've been trying to learn it. Um, well, I guess I started last spring, yeah. and um, I sing it almost every day. And uh, it's not my native language, obviously, but you know, I mean, it's. I'm just trying to remember how I was attracted to it. 
it's it's kind of a mysterious process. For for years, I'd listen to it, and I'd have the same reaction that Krishna Das thought I probably would as a novice, which was like, "Why do people learn this? This is like yeah. really hard, you know." And I, yeah. I just really didn't understand anything about it until, um, and, and I don't know, it just it just became overwhelmingly attractive to me. Mm. I guess is the only way to describe it. And then I just started to learn it. And um, Had you read any of the English translation of it? Or were you just listening and trying to sing the, the Indian words? I um, found online a, uh, a, a translation of it, and I was using that. And then I had, I had Krishna Das's um, CD, The Flow of Grace. Flow of Grace, yeah. Yeah, and... Had had been using that the the phrase by phrase and a couple of the Hanuman chalices on that, but I find that I have a file of a lot of different Hanuman chalices and I just go through them and it's easier for me to learn things to music. So uh, the more musical um, interpretations I have of it, the easier it seems to me to to take it in. Mm. But um, it's it's really interesting the effect that it's having on on my life. Uh, I, I, very subtle, but definitely. I definitely feel Hanuman's presence in my life, and I'm coming to this from a complete. I'm a, I know nothing. I'm a novice. I know, it, but it's really interesting to see his influence and feel it um, growing. As I, it's like the day isn't complete for me unless I chant that. And um, your handout that you gave at Bhakti Fest. Oh, God, the, those memories of chanting in the morning. Mm. At Bhakti Fest with you, I, I, it, well, it's bringing me to tears thinking about it. It was such a sweet, sweet, sweet time. And um, that handout that you gave, that kind of brought it all together for me because it had the translation right there. It had, um, And so anyway, I've been using that. I just wanted to say thank you again for that because it's been really helpful. Call your CD Antarami. Antarami is that how I pronounce it? Antarami. Antarami. Why did you choose that name? You know, it probably wasn't the best marketing idea because <laughs> it's so hard to pronounce. <laughs> I wasn't really thinking about it. You know, when I thought about the name of this CD, I mean, I wasn't thinking about this from a marketing standpoint, obviously. But um, the word Antaryami is often defined as the being that knows our deepest heart and knows the deepest places of everybody's heart. And to me, it seemed that that was something I could easily grasp and in the sense that because this being knows my heart he will always provide for me or he or she or this being will always provide for me what I need and if only each and every one of us actually knew what was in every other person's heart we would be able to act 
toward each other in the same way. You know, a lot of our anger, fear, suffering, jealousy, envy, hatred, love, all of that is so much of a function of our own projections and really knowing what is the essence of another person's heart. And, mm. you know, just having come back from Ramdas and him talking about, he says, I see you all as souls and not as the roles that you play in this life, but as souls. And when he said that, I believe that's what he sees because that is how he is with everybody. I see that he sees love. That's what I see he sees. And if we could all move toward that in a certain way, I think each of us would be happier and we'd be so much happier with every, you know, everyone else would be happier because we would act appropriately towards others, not be so reactive necessarily to our own stuff. And so the word Antaryami, knower of all hearts, just has such a broad and deep meaning that I felt that's what I wanted to name the album because all these prayers are an offering to that space so that we can invoke that space in ourselves and make our hearts wider and embrace everything that happens. my daughter ah it is that was a lovely that was a lovely chant nina i love that (laughs) a lot of people love um love to hear her sing and um she has a very beautiful voice and uh she you know though she doesn't take it at all seriously she has known the hanman chalisa since she was a child and um she's listened to it and she sung it and she knows it and when i was making the album a lot of people had said to me, that, you know, I, I really want my children to learn. They'd seen Uma singing live with me at certain places. Mm-hmm. They said, how did she learn it? And and I said, you know, she just knows it from just having heard it so many times. And she comes to India with me and she's obviously practiced it. She doesn't necessarily know the meaning of everything she's singing, which is the next phase of the study of the prayer. Um, but she does know it. And... A lot of people have said that it's helpful um, to have a child singing it because that piques the interest of their own children learning it. So I thought, let her sing one too. And then that way, all the parents who want to teach their kids can have that version. But I have so many adults writing to me and saying, oh, we love this. And not even for their kids' sake, but for their own. Beautiful. How old is she? She's now 11. She recorded it. When did she record it? She recorded it last summer sometime. So she was 10 when she recorded it. Oh, gosh. What, how personal this CD yeah. is for you. It is, which is why, you know, I wasn't really sure if this was even going to be um, interesting to many people. But the reason why I made this CD is there is a small group of people who I sing with here uh, in the New York area. And they've all asked for a recording. And so I thought, you know, let me just make this simple CD. It's not going to be a, you know, high dollar production event of any kind. But let's just put it out there so people have something to take home. And so the first disc is just the chants that I've been singing over the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years or something. And and then the Hanman Chalisa you know, there was one comment by somebody who's, who was reviewing my album and said, you know, it's a really beautiful album, but I don't really see the need for so many Hanuman Chalisas. One is enough for me. <laughs> so, um, what he doesn't know is, is that, you know, they're, because it's something that I chant regularly 
and it's sung in so many and as you said like when you were learning your hanuman chalisas um it's helpful for you to hear it in many different melodic formats so in the same way i just decided to put down a few different melodies for people to practice too in the United States did you say since the 80s 86 yeah since 1986 so what was it like in New York was any kirtan happening at that point well if it was happening i didn't know about it because i wasn't interested so i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you know probably um at her christian temple there was chanting going on and obviously there've been you know there are centers like um Mukta uh, Smukta Baba Muktanandas and uh, Guru Mai's you know all these ashrams have always had a chanting practice going on mm. but i um and you know there were i'm not sure about the 80s but i'm quite sure in the early 90s by that time Shamdas had probably started chanting at Jiva Mukti um he used to lead some chanting there back in the day and um I came across it because after I sang with my grandfather when I was a child it kind of I left India and then I didn't see him for many years and it sort of became dormant for me it wasn't actually practiced in my household my parents were uh a lot more western in their approach and I mean those in terms of what they were looking for and how they were raising us mm-hmm. and um So I didn't actually chant until until actually I met KD and that was in um that was in 1996. So that was 10 years after I actually moved to New York. And I had just started practicing yoga um at my health club. And my yoga teacher because she was teaching it at the health she was a Jiva Mukti trained teacher but she was teaching at my health club and so she kept it very sort sort of non-spiritual so to speak. Mm-hmm. But um She left the health club and I was missing having class with her and when I called her one day she said oh I'm out I'm not teaching there anymore and but I'm doing this retreat and I'd never been on a yoga retreat before so she said just just call Jeevan Mukti and sign up for it so I said okay so my friend and I who were both members of that gym we we signed up and we went to this retreat up in the Catskills in September of 1996 And at that re- retreat uh she had invited Krishnadas to come and sing. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what satsang was and I was very um should I say had a little bit of an attitude about it. <laughs> I can say that now. I was like I just want to do yoga and I don't know about all these vegan people and satsang and I I just I don't know. Let me see how I feel about it. but i did go to the program uh just to see what it was about and um i really my i i was even more doubtful when i saw kd walk into the room um you know he was wearing all black in those days and he just looked like this guy from long island who i had no you know i thought he must be some failed musician trying to do this so i didn't know him but i did see the picture of maharaji and hanumanji on the on the altar and when he sat down he didn't really talk very much and he started singing shri ram jay ram and it just transported me back to that space that space that i felt as a child when i first heard my grandfather chanting hmm. and i knew i didn't even i couldn't even think obviously because i didn't know where i was for 3 hours i literally disappeared somewhere and i found myself having moved from the back of the room to sitting right in front of kd and it ended up being a pivotal moment in my life because it changed everything for me um i we chanted with him for the rest of the weekend and um i i i met him and we became friends and and that was kind of it but then as i was driving home i realized 
my heart was breaking thinking that that was it. Yeah. I, I was ne- that was never going to happen again. I, how would I ever do this again? You know, it really, like when I think about it now, that was what was going through my mind. And I gave a ride to this young couple who, um, and I, I, I don't know what was up with me because he had actually brought samples of his tape, One Track Heart, to the workshop, the retreat, and, and given it away. Somehow I didn't have a copy. I don't know why. And I did take a picture of Hanuman that was there that he had brought for everybody. And this couple in the car, they they said, uh, well, don't worry, here's the tape. And they played the tape and we listened to it. And then they ended up giving it to me because they said they'd get another. And then they also told me that he sings every Monday night at Jivamukti, which I didn't know because I never practiced at Jivamukti per se. Was Jiva Mukti close to where you were, or did you have to travel to get to it? Uh, pretty close. I lived on 23rd Street and FDR mm-hmm. Drive at the time, and th- that Jiva Mukti, which was the original small one, was on 9th Street down in the East Village. So I just walked there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that far. Yep, but I did rearrange my whole life so that I was always here on Monday night. Hmm. <laughs> it was that was it, and that changed everything for me. And, um, this practice, it's it, it, I hear I hear stories like that, not exactly like that, but it's similar to that. You know, people, it lights people up, and then they want to go and come to Kirtan all the time, and they go and buy all the CDs, and like, where has this been all my life? And yeah, it's beautiful to see. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I know that feeling of that heartbreak. I you know. I used to think that the saddest day of the year was Christmas night when all the excitement of Christmas was over for another year. And, you know, but it's been replaced for me by the saddest day of my year is when I'm driving out of Bhakti Fest, because Mm -hmm. I know that um, where we live, there's just no kirtan unless we create it. You have to create that in your heart, your own heart, uh, I'm finding, you know, if you want to have that warmth and that um, and that community. Uh, That's interesting that you say that. I mean, I think we're a little spoiled here in New York because um, now, of course, there's chanting, you know, at every yoga studio, practically every night of the week in New York, and it's um, people have a lot of access to it, but at the time that I met KD, there really wasn't. And he started to travel, and my friends and I at the time decided that we just have to sing. Like you were saying, you have to create it in a certain way. Right. And none of us knew whether we could actually do it or not. Just one of my friends was already a singer, and so she had learned a few chants, and I said, okay, well, let's just sing at my place. So they would come over, and we would sing at my house. We did that for many years. My friend was the one who was the musician with the voice and the singer, and, and so we always needed a drummer. So I took, when I had gone to India, I, I, first of all, I, brought a, I bought a mridanga, like one of those clay um, drums that you see. At, oh, at, yeah. At, and um, at the time, there was a young who was playing with KD, and I asked him if he could just give me a couple of beats that I could learn how to play. And so I did learn how to play, and eventually <laughs> that drummer left, and we were at a retreat up at Ananda Ashram, and the drummer didn't arrive. And KD said to me, did you bring your drum? So I said, yep. And he said, okay, you're on. So I said, what? <laughs> and he said, yep, you're on, you're playing. So that was it. And so I actually drummed with him for a few years. Ah. Oh. Until Ty Burho came along, and then Arjun played after that. I mean, you know, I'm not a skilled drummer at all. I can keep a beat, but um, so the influences. I mean, they're not. They're not any. I didn't have any specific training. Anything. It's just what I like to hear. Uh, when I go to Kenchi, I used to drum um, for a lot of the kirtan and singing Hanuman chalisas and stuff like that. So the idea is basically to keep it very simple and accessible to people.
it's wonderful to see it growing with the with young people. I have a son who's um, in his early 20s and uh, he loves it and his friends love it and uh, um, he's learning tabla and do, do you know they see something for themselves in it yeah. Uh, yeah. That, it, that isn't constrained by dogma. Um, you don't have to belong to a particular religion but you can still have a spiritual life without right. being affiliated with a, a church and I think that's very appealing to young people. Yep, definitely. Yeah, and isn't it great to go to Bhakti Fest or those festivals and see the range of ages from young to old who are there just purely to be in that atmosphere of loving kindness and take yoga and sing kirtan and, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful community. Beautiful. It's it's a great community and I have to say I had my, again, doubts about the whole Bhakti Fest idea because I didn't quite... This was the first year that I went. I couldn't quite understand um, what it was going to be like. And, you know, I walked in there and there were all these vendors. And, I mean, Sridhar does a great job picking really good companies and people to work there. But still, it was very different from what I was used to in terms of a a spiritual festival as I had seen in India. Mm. And it's the atmosphere is is different than it is at, at a spiritual festival in India. It's And there is a quite a range of ages. And, you know, there were people who had just come in from Burning Man. And, you know, it, it was just a very different scene for me. I didn't quite get it. Mm. And, but what, what, what I really saw, um, there were two things that happened. One was that was seeing the number of people who came to chant the Hanuman Chalisa. Mm-hmm. I, I realize these people are dedicated to chanting because there is nothing glamorous about waking up at you know 7.30 in the morning to come and chant 11 Hanuman Chalisas, a difficult prayer. You know, there's no, there was no full band there. There's no dancing. There's no, you know, it's, I mean, not that they couldn't dance, but, you know, they were dedicated to doing the practice. It was like the most unglamorous thing to do in the day, but to watch people committing themselves to doing it and coming in every morning. That really showed me something. And and then the other thing was I talked to somebody and I said, you know, why do you come for this? Like, why why would you, why would, why do you come to Bhakti Fest? And he looked at me and very sincerely, without a moment's hesitation, he said, well, it's our pilgrimage. (laughs) That's great. And and he meant it. Yeah. And, And I realized that, you know, he didn't, Unlike in India, I mean, there aren't too many places to go and chant like you were talking about in your neck of the woods. So this is it. What What do you think about watching this explode the way it has? You've been involved almost from the very beginning, and Ground Zero was New York at that Jiva Mukti studio. So yeah. what do you think about how it's grown? Well, um I think it's been very organic in a certain way. I mean, for me, I'm always seeing everything as as the path has opened up for Krishnadas because that's where I've been involved in the closest way. Um, like I said, you know, there's been chanting going on in ashrams in, in America for a long time, but there's something about the way in which um, the medicine of the chanting is delivered through KD's Kirtan that spread, mm. um, and and people were able to hear and sing along to, that I think is unique. I mean, he's definitely a phenomenon, and and that's how I see it. And what's so beautiful after all these years is to see the number of emails he gets from Indians. <laughs> who love his chanting. And I think he's in a bit of shock about it. And, you know, he's been receiving emails from people to come and sing in India. And he's like, why would they want me to sing there? Like, you know, because the stuff that we listen to is what they're singing in India, Mm. you know. And this year, actually, for the first time, um, I scheduled for him a, a public kirtan in Mumbai in India. So, and it's in a huge hall. And after waiting for a long time, we decided, okay, let's give this a try and see. But he sung a little bit in India. He sang in Rishikesh. He sung in Dharamsala. And the Indians just love it. They, I think what it's done 
what he is is a bridge yeah. and it, it goes both ways it's not just westerners wanting to learn about indian culture but it's indians wanting to relearn or understand what they've always taken as tradition and how does that really integrate into their lives and by this i don't mean that he is teaching the meaning the essential meaning of the ramayan or anything like that with plenty of scholars in india who talk about that stuff but the way he talks about chanting and how it's helped him how it's helped him deal with and accept everything that happens to us in life and um overcome some huge obstacles also with the grace of his guru i think when people hear and read about it in this plain spoken man kind of way that he does it in chance of a lifetime and he talks about in his workshops and things then they understand that's what it did for me yeah i i was enthralled by every word and i said oh yes this is when i first met him i completely understood because you know like i said i was born in jamaica queens and i spent some years of my childhood in india and i i was drawn to the indian traditions but i couldn't really understand why but i was also very liberal and feminist as in a certain way as a as a young woman and i couldn't figure out how to make these two sit together and kd mm-hmm. can do that he's the bridge and i think that because it's it's now accessible in a different way musically uh, in the sense that it's not you don't have to be a a connoisseur of indian classical music to sing bhajan or kirtan in the way that he does it um and also seeing how it can fit into your life and you don't really have to join anything you just do it and it works on its own uh you don't have to belong anywhere you don't have to have a teacher nothing of the kind um i think that if if it's now become accessible to people everywhere because of that it's just i think what a wonderful tool what an amazing tool that you know you don't have to work too hard at it it's enjoyable and you just have a little faith and you start to see over time how it works for you yes slowly but inevitably um yeah. it, it it can't help but work and i i think that's the beauty of it and you're right it is a beautiful tool i couldn't have gotten through my mother's death without chanting mm-hmm. and um i'm in the middle of chants of a lifetime and i'm going to give it to all of my chanting friends for christmas because it's it it explains the practice so beautifully and in terms that are so easy to understand and apply um to a western life uh and he's got a real knack for explaining it in his lectures and in his book and you know it's interesting my husband is not a big it's bhakti yoga is not his practice he'll come with me to concerts and things but um it's not his thing you know but he loves kd loves mm-hmm. it and i think he can um his voice holds so much mm-hmm. uh, you can sink into his voice and hear um I don't know it's just it's so rich and so it has such depth that it can carry you deeper at least that's my perception of 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 uh, the way I in the way I uh interpret his music and the way I get into his music is I just phwah, lock into that energy and it just takes me right there yeah. um and uh I don't <coughs> think it would be possible if he hadn't had so much to go through to get there yes you can hear it it's he's it's in there yeah you might not know it but that's that's what that is well it's like all the suffering and pain and everybody uh experiences in life uh if you can trans translate that to your art and he does in his voice it's it's pretty pretty remarkable um and uh, we're responding to it as humans it's yeah. human you know
to sing at the Grammys. Tell me about uh, that. It was, well, I was, firstly, I was beyond thrilled for him. And he, <laughs> it's real funny. <laughs> when we were in Maui last year um, at the Ramdas retreat, when we first learned that the CD was nominated for a Grammy. It was Live Ananda, right? Live Ananda. Yeah. So I said, and he said, what? So I said, really? And, and I said, but let me just double check. Because, you know, we've we've heard about his albums being submitted for nomination. So I said, let me just double check. And there were a few people there. And then Shiva Baum was there. And he's like, no, no, it's actually, I said, wait, I don't believe any of you. I need to go to the Grammy website and check for myself. <laughs> so, and lo and behold, it was. And so when you I found told, out when you were in Maui with everybody? Yeah. Oh, how cool. <laughs> yeah. We were, it's, I, I would, you know, KD was surprised um, <laughs> because the material on the live and on the CD was uh, live recordings of his old, older chants, you know, that have appeared on Pilgrim Heart and Live on Earth and so forth. So we were surprised. And, um, but I, I really feel like it was honoring his the entire body of work, you know, that because he's put out so many CDs over time. So this was just one way of doing it by um, nominating this particular album. So he, uh, we found out the day of the Grammy celebration and because and, he was invited to go, obviously, but he was already scheduled to be leading a retreat in Costa Rica. So he said, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to the ceremony. So I said, okay, fine, not going. And a week later, I got an email from the producer of the recording academies, like the telecast ceremonies. And he said, well, we'd like Krishnadas to perform. Oh, wow. So I wrote to him and I said, well, might you reconsider? We'll change the schedule around a little bit. And so that changed his mind because he felt that to be able to actually offer the chanting in, in such a forum where you're exposing so many people to something that they've probably never heard or heard of before, that was worth doing a lot of jump, jungle, jump, jump, woo, <laughs> jumping of his schedule, mm -hmm. which we had to do. Yeah, uh, but it all it all worked out fine, and he did go. And you know, there were a lot of limitations in terms of how much time he had to sing, how many band members he could take, and so on. And um, how was it to sing there was for him I think it was just interesting because you're going to sing in a place where you know there's not re essentially no response you know because mm. they're not there they don't really know what they're doing um, and so they were just listening so uh, Steve Ross and I just sang the response vocals but he and he also had to pay attention now to which lines he was singing and making sure he was singing just that that five minute song right but, you know, this, the thing that I love about KD and always have is, is that whether there are two people in the room or he's singing to a, a huge audience, he goes to the same place in his heart. And he did that that day. Ah, it was so wonderful to watch. It really was. Yeah. It was like, oh, my God, this is the Grammys. And KD is on the, this is, and, and you look beautiful. You just looked beautiful, and I, I was wondering, I wonder what's going through her mind right now. What is this experience like, you know? I was thrilled for him. I mean, you know, we made a big party out of it, you know, in our own little way, which, you know, with the guys wearing a suit, and, like, everybody looked a little happy. <laughs> and KD, though, when he was singing, he was just, he said, I'm just wearing my regular clothes, which he did, but he did wear a jacket later on when we went out to the party, and... You know, for me, it was it was just fun. My good friends in L.A., they said, well, what are you wearing? I said, I don't know. I'll just wear, you know, something, something nice. And they said, no, 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 we got to go shopping. And I said, no, no, I'll, I'll take care of the shopping. And they said, well, we want to send a makeup artist to, to get you all spiffied up. I guess this is L.A. So I said, okay, deal. So that's why I look that way. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, the outfit was, was beautiful and it just, I don't know, it was just, it was quite 
a wonderful evening for everybody. I mean, you know, just for the whole community, just to see him honored that way. Um, I agree. And that's how I felt. You're asking me how I felt when, when I was singing. That's what I felt. I was so happy for him. I thought it was amazing, really amazing. Nina, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Kitsy. My pleasure. Thank you. Ya 
Yeah. 